0: Welcome back to another episode of the Test Studio Times podcast with your host Sam Austria alongside Ben Dixon. We have a lot to get to today. Maryland basketball season began on Monday. That season's in full swing. Maryland football is coming down to the wire. We're gonna uh, break down the game against Wisconsin—an ugly, embarrassing loss for Maryland—and preview the Penn State game. But first, Ben,
1: how are you? Doing great, Sam. Busy uh, football, men's basketball. Everything's keeping us in check right now, but an exciting time uh to be a college sports fan and, and covering the Terps here.
0: Sure is it's crossover season, which means football is going on, while basketball is going on. It's it's a great time whenever college basketball season starts. There's like tons and tons of games on Monday, including Maryland's win over Niagara. But we're gonna start with Maryland football and the loss at Wisconsin um this past Saturday. One of the worst losses um that I can remember since covering this team in the last couple of years and one of the worst losses I think that uh, Mike Loxley has experienced. Uh, Maryland came to this game as as about the line went down. So they were about six point underdogs, but they were embarrassed, bullied, and it was just an ugly game. They lost 23 to 10, but that score is really not um, indicative of how much uh, how lopsided the game was. I mean, the yardage battle was Wisconsin at 355 total yards of offense while Maryland had 189 And Wisconsin just pounded the rock. They had 278 yards rushing, while Maryland only had 112 yards rushing. And it's important to mention that the conditions and the weather environment played a big factor in that. But everyone knew coming in, both sides knew the weather would be like that. It was really rainy at times. There was times when it wasn't raining as much, but it was windy and just poor weather conditions all around. Both teams dealt with it. Both teams knew it was coming in. And Maryland looked incredibly unprepared for that type of environment.
1: Yeah, the weather, the wind, the rain definitely played into it. But Wisconsin dominated Maryland on the ground. Look, Talia and Graham Mertz both had, I think, 77 yards passing apiece, and that was it. And you can say whatever you want about Talia and how this offense performed or or the play calling. I think all of it in a nutshell, offensive ineptitude, Sam. It it took a really long time for Maryland to even get a first down in this game. Um, Of course, the condition's a lot easier said than done, but both teams had to deal with it, Maryland – Said they were prepared. Loxley said they had a good game plan coming in. They just didn't execute it and, and didn't work to perfection. Um, who knows on the, on that standpoint? But Maryland was, was really embarrassed. One of the, you know, it was it was a moment, Sam, that Maryland, if they won that game, could have changed the narrative around the program completely. I guess I get that it's a down year for Wisconsin. I get they have an interim head coach. I get they're only five and four. But if you go into Madison and you beat a perennial Big Ten West Power and improve to seven and two, you show that you've really arrived and Maryland let that opportunity slip regardless of all the factors that played into that game.
0: Yeah. It's what they're talking about all, all season to take that next step. And what everyone's been talking about is you got to beat an opponent. You're not necessarily supposed to win. Yeah. Michigan state is a big win because that's a team that can, that can continuously compete to the top of the big 10 East. Um, And then beat them since 2016. But this is, a horrible Michigan State team, one of the worst um, that, that there's been in years, and probably the worst Mel Tucker might have if he finishes out that 10 year contract. Just a horrible Michigan State team. But they haven't beat a team in the towards the top of the Big Ten. And this is kind of a, a barometer game where you're going to stack up and see how far are you behind uh, the Big Ten. And And this battle came down to the trenches. Um, It, it was a run, running game. They had to rush the football in order to win because because of the weather and because of the rain. And Maryland just couldn't stop the run. Wisconsin ran all over them and Maryland couldn't run the ball effectively. Their offensive line was dominated um by Wisconsin's defensive line. And then on the flip side, Wisconsin's offensive line had could block any hole they were that could create any hole they wanted to um for their running back. And it was just it was just embarrassing um how much they were bullied and, and dominated and in terms of we we always know Wisconsin is a great offensive line. They love to run the football, but in terms of barometer of where you stack up in the trenches, and of course we know you you win from the inside out in football. Um, you have to have you have to win the battle in the trenches. Maryland is really far
1: behind, really far behind, and it's disappointing because you think this team took a step forward. I, I think everyone thought they took a step forward in the trenches. You saw it at Michigan, where they're competent going toe to toe with an elite defensive and offensive line that they got over there in Ann Arbor. It was really disappointing. Yes, Mason Lunsford was in the concussion protocol and was out, but he's had an up and down year dealing with penalties and getting pulled off the field. Uh, Colton Deary, the freshman center, who's been you know pretty good this year, but he was really really bad against Wisconsin. Had trouble snapping the ball, um, and just the offensive line in general had problems blocking. Defensively, uh, you know, we you talked about that hole that. Isaac Rendo had on that 89-yard touchdown. I think I said in my story, it was as big as Lake Mendota, which is the the lake they got over there in Madison. That was embarrassing. He went untouched down the line. Um, Ja'Corey Bennett didn't show much resistance either um, once he got into the red zone. Just really disappointing on all fronts, offensively and defensively. They were dominated in the trenches, which I think is is a major takeaway from this game, given the fact that we thought they were better this year in the trenches and and seemingly took a step back against uh, the Badgers.
0: Yeah, and it, it really—I do think Maryland's offensive line had improved. And when you look at the numbers, you look at how they've stacked up against some good defensive lines. that like to get to the quarterback, and and how effective Maryland had been running the ball before this week. Um, I think that's a credit to the offensive line. They they were improved, and they did take a step forward. But when you're facing another team that that has a phenomenal defensive line, and it shows that shows that you're really not um you're not at the level where where you can compete. A Ah, uh, with the top teams in the Big Ten, and this is a good Wisconsin team. They got off to a very bad start, and the record might not indicate that. But since Jim Leonard took took over, they're three and one, and it's a good team, and they're still very much in contention for the Big Ten West because it's a wacky year over in that in that division. Um, but let's talk about the offense and the offensive play calling. It's Talia had seventy seven yards passing. He was ten for twenty three. He threw a touchdown, um, late late in the game, but he also had a, a bad. Turnover, that kind of changed the momentum a little bit. Um, seventy-seven yards passing for a pass-heavy offense is really bad, and and it's important to note that the game plan is always going to be to run the football, establish the ground game when the conditions are what they were. But they weren't. Yes, it was windy, but there weren't some, there weren't brutal, brutal conditions. Uh, like it was like it was a tropical rainstorm or something. There were times it wasn't even raining, and even if it was windy, um, it's not really an excuse to to have as poor of a game as he had. But it was also the play calling. I mean, Dan Enos, the the offensive coordinator and the play caller for Maryland, would not pass the ball like at all in in the first half of the game. They had two more as the game went on when they kind of fell behind. But they really were just trying to run the football, and they wouldn't, um, and they weren't having a lot of success. But they still wouldn't go to the passing game. And when they did, Talia was was it was probably his worst showing, um, certainly of this season, maybe of his career. And, and you can blame the con- you can blame the poor offensive line play. Of course, he, he didn't play the last game coming off of um, um, uh MCL sprain injury. But there's a lot of excuses you can make for him. But the bottom line is he did not do enough and he wasn't good enough. And, and it's partly the offense as a whole and Dan Enos putting him in a good position. But it really it was it was a poor game from Talia.
1: Yeah, 77 yards, I think 40 something, which came on that last drive to end the game, which was a meaningless touchdown. So he really had a, a, a brutal game. And yes, the play calling comes into it. Uh, I think the lack of creativity on Saturday with the conditions, knowing that it was coming is appalling. I think this team is really stalled, has really stalled, excuse me, in short yardage situations um, where it's third and one third and two team knows you're handing it to Littleton up the middle every time. And it's just not going to work at this point anymore. The creativity, something's got to happen. I think this is a game. uh, Maybe Talia was hundred percent healthy going into it after the bye week, but he was still wearing that brace. I think this is a game where you needed a running quarterback as well. Talia had some nice scrambles uh, Saturday, but I would have liked to see maybe some, some sets for Billy Edwards. We were talking about it before the game, a read option type guy. If Talia's is not hundred percent healthy, you got to implement some sort of creativity when you're going against the conditions, you're going against a good defense like Wisconsin and you're on the road in such an important game. It just, Felt like they kind of threw out the, the same old stuff they always do and, and weren't really prepared for you know what the weather, what Wisconsin had to bring. And I just think there wasn't enough creativity at all.
0: Yeah, you talk about the creativity and it is hard when you have a game plan. He, Loxley was talking about after the game, how they had a good game plan coming in. And obviously the game plan with the weather conditions is try to establish the run. They couldn't do that. When, you, when you're failing to do that, why? are you trying the same thing over and over again. You have to somehow get creative in these poor conditions and and give Talia a chance to to air it out early in the in the in the game. You you said it. I mean, he's 77 yards passing and 40 of those were on the last drive of the game. He virtually did nothing for 3 quarters of that game and they didn't give him a lot of opportunity to do it. Um yes, he, that pick that interception was inexcusable. It was a bad pass. I um, can't throw that ball, but at the same time there was there was no creativity um and and they just it was, they came out flat. They looked unprepared. They looked like they had never seen rain before or or windy conditions before it was, there was nothing positive to take away from this game, not a single thing. And I think that's the first game. You can say that really all year for this Maryland
1: team. It was, it was just a nightmare, Sam. I think we talked about the offense. Yeah. The lack of creativity, the lack of really generating anything in in any sort of, of aspect there Um I think the defense as well, you got to talk about, gave up a few really big plays. That 89-yard play was embarrassing. Um, No takeaways, which was a big change from the past three weeks, where I think they had eight combined in the previous three games. Um, So not generating any takeaways and allowing big plays like that is also a step back as well. I think that there was a step back in every sense of not only what this team has done on both sides of the ball, both sides of the ball, but just this program in general, it was such an opportunity. And I think Maryland fans, yes, are going to be really disappointed about that Purdue game looking back because we talked about this and Purdue is not really a good team in itself either, but this was, it, it was a golden opportunity on the silver platter. I, I think for Maryland, it's not like Wisconsin was that much better than them. I, I don't think you saw that on Saturday. I think they dominated in the trenches and I think that was, you know, maybe they were better in the trenches in that sense. I think they definitely were, but from a talent standpoint, Graham Mertz, some of these guys aren't necessarily you know invoking fright in your defense. So I, I think this was a, a good opportunity for Maryland to to really take that next step, and it was just a complete failure. No,
0: you're completely right about the talent point because there's no way you could argue that Wisconsin is more talent, especially in terms of playmakers and weapons. And of course, if this, if it's not rainy, if it's a sunny day, and it was beautiful here in College Park. So if the, on that Saturday, so if it was a home game you know then the weather doesn't play into it maybe it's a completely different game and Mar- maybe Maryland's more prepared and, and they win and, and we're talking we're having a completely different conversation but look you, you fight the element sometimes it's part of the game you play football outside it's what happens um Maryland was was just not prepared and and they were I think the more talented team Wisconsin's not some really talented group you know you look Get Michigan earlier in the season, that loss, like Michigan's the more talented group in terms of their, their recruits, the, how they rate, everything like that, that would have been a phenomenal win. And, and it's an acceptable loss because they're a more talented group. Wisconsin, that's not the case. They were just more physical, tougher, more prepared up front um, on both sides of the football. And that's why they won the game. But it's not just a bad loss because it felt like a winnable game and they kind of were just flat out bullied and embarrassed. It's a bad loss because of the November that that's coming up. And before this game, Locksley was talking about how November is where it's made in college football. You know, you want to have a remember November to remember, and it's about to turn into a November to forget because this was the winnable game of an incredible, incredibly tough three game, three game stretch because now they have Penn state. And we'll preview that a little bit later. And then they have Ohio state. Um, two losses, I mean, two games that you could just pencil in as losses at this point would be miraculous upsets. And this was the game that they had to win. And now they're about to go on a 0-3 stretch, most likely, and um, kind of just turn their season around. And, and when you talk about improvement from year to year, they're likely going to beat Rutgers last game of the season. So let's say this team finishes 7-5. That's a one-game increase um, from last season uh, in, term, in terms of the win total. Is that the step people like, yes, maybe at the beginning of the year, seven and five is what the record predicted because of a tough schedule. But that's not really the, the, the kind of progress to next step that was expected to take with this talented roster. And when there was a lot of expectation, especially how the schedule shook out, because. Michigan State was supposed to be a great team. They were hor- they ended up horrible this year. Winnable game, Purdue game. They will never get back. There was no excuse for losing that game when Purdue is when you your defense is three straight turnovers. And you can't get a point off it, and you you end up losing um because you can't come convert a, a two point conversion at the end of the game. That's an inexcusable loss. You you just go down the list and you're like, based on how the schedule played out and their opponents, seven and five is kind of a disappointment.
1: Yeah, because they should have been seven and one going into Wisconsin. Uh, that we'll, we'll talk about the Purdue game, you know, over and over again, because at the time, I think what people thought after the game is, look, Purdue has an All Big Ten quarterback, and they're going to be right there in the Big Ten West. Purdue has fallen apart in these past few weeks. They got destroyed by Iowa, who is an offensively inept, no offense. They killed them. They killed Purdue last week. And that's just a, a game that Maryland fans are going to want to have back for this year at minimum. I think they'll be thinking about that one for a long time. And yes, this team is going on three in the stretch. They're not, I would be shocked if they beat Penn State on the road. I would be shocked if they beat Ohio State. That would be the biggest upset of the college football season. Um, and then Rutgers, let's say they do beat Rutgers seven and five. Like you said, a step in the right direction, technically record wise, but that's going to leave a really sour taste in Maryland fans' mouths because this team is undoubtedly, I think the most talented team they've had since joining the Big Ten and, and maybe the best team since 2010 or, or since the, the Fridge era. Who knows Um in, in that regard, because I've, I've only been watching for, you know, I, I I grew up watching Maryland as well, but back to the Fridge days, I, I can't take you through those early ones. But it, it it's frustrating because this team has a lot of talent and it just, this Wisconsin opportunity was an opportunity to kind of prove that everything came together you have taken the next step and it it, like I said it was a it was a complete failure and I think there's a lot of fingers to point yes you can blame the conditions but the coaching staff was unprepared and even if they had a plan and they had a great plan the team didn't execute that right and I think there's just so many units and, and aspects of this team that have just failed to you know reach the standard that was expected to them either either expected of them either in the preseason or either we've come to expect from this season, watching this team as talented as they were. Um, But, but, you know, seven and five, which is what we expect at this point as we reset expectations is is technically a step in the right direction, but I think emotionally and just using the eye test, it's not.
0: Yeah. I think obviously you increase your win total by one, you know, that that's a step, right? That's a step positive. That's a step forward. But I think Maryland fans are going to be disappointed. Um, when you look back on the season, because you're right, it is Loxley's most talented team by far, and it probably will be with the abundance of of seniors and 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 players that are NFL talent are going to go off to the NFL draft next year. This probably will be as one of his most talented teams in the years to come. And your schedule played out in your favor, where it wasn't some like. Impossible Big Ten um, schedule of the season it really wasn't and they have a tough stretch here but like I said Wisconsin winnable game Purdue winnable game should have won that Michigan State who you thought at the beginning of the year was going to be some great team was it was ended up having a horrible forgettable season um, and there's there's still football to be played left let's not let's you know there's three games and they're still bowl eligible but Loxley does deserve a lot of credit for the program that he built um, a controversy riddled a program absolutely a dump and he made it so. Bowl eligibility is the standard, and he's gotten right. them for the second straight year, bowl eligible, and he deserves a ton of credit. But when you look at a microscope back, when you look back at this 2022 season, you're going to say this team should have done more. They should have accumulated more wins, and it was disappointing they didn't. And of course, look, they could upset Penn State, and maybe by miraculous something, I don't know, like they could at home against Ohio State, even though the stadium is probably going to be empty because. Fans are pretty much out on this on this 2022 team. Well, at this the point. stadium
1: the stadium will be full with maybe a different shade of red, but
0: yeah. Same. Good Sorry. point. Good point. Sorry. I didn't know where we were going there for a second. <laughs> but definitely a different shade of red. But maybe they somehow upset Ohio State. But the way we think this season's gonna go out, play out with two losses against Penn State and Ohio State, and then Defeating Rutgers, finishing 7-5, you're going to look back on this 2022 season and say they should have done more. They should should have accumulated more wins with the talent that they had. The offense hasn't been, especially the passing offense, has not been what people expected. The defense is probably better than expected. You have some young guys that you can can build, especially in that build-off of, especially in that secondary for the years to come. Um, but it's just it's gonna play out to be a disappointing season in terms of their win-loss total. When well, this could have been an eight-win, nine-win team, they had the town had the schedule to do so this season, and it doesn't look like it's gonna play out like that. And real quick, last point I wanna say is um when when you look at like the accomplishments early on in the season, like first time that they were six and two since since two thousand ten, like yes, that's an accomplishment, but it's also how the schedule plays out because they're about to go on a three-game losing streak, which is also what they did last year. It was just the schedule played out where they had that three-game losing streak earlier on the season. And so they eventually got to that sixth win at in the last game of the season against Rutgers. But this this schedule, it just based on the schedule plays out when your tough stretch comes. And and this one is coming in, in November. And that's why the three-game losing streak is happening now. But it could have happened at any point. So you shouldn't really play look into those like the best starts since 2010, best start since whenever. First, earliest bowl eligible since whenever Um, it really is based on how the schedule played out.
1: Right. But I, I think to play devil's advocate there a little bit, I think we can use the eye test and say that, you know, this team was definitely better than than last year's and, and it's better than oh. our teams we've seen earlier, but without I think a we'll, doubt. We'll without,
0: 1,000%. Without a doubt, but there's still very much disappointing moments. And, and I'm just saying like the season's about to spiral last year, not, not spiral, just, you know, three game losing streak last year that came earlier on in the season and the and and everyone was already out in maryland football earlier on the season even though they eventually got bowl eligible um but this year this year it's just happening later and, and they should get the seven wins still they're only at six right now it would certainly be disappointing if they can't get the seven wins that would that would be bad but i'm just i'm just saying it's based that, on the that would be a nightmare that. That, was,
1: yeah, that, I mean, yeah. that would be worst case scenario if they ended the season with with four straight losses and one of them was to Rutgers. Yeah, that would that would be really embarrassing
0: for this program. But it like we are speaking obviously with negative tone because they did get embarrassed with Wisconsin and of two really tough games coming up. Um, but it it is noteworthy and it is significant when you hear the criticism for lot for Loxley. Um like that, that Loxley receives. He still deserves a ton of credit, a ton of credit for building this program back up and making it the standard where this, where they're they're bowl eligible, where they hadn't been for years before he arrived, but now it's the standard they're bowl eligible. And any year they don't will be disappointed. And that that's a ton of credit to him.
1: Without a doubt, you have to applaud him. I think we've been saying it all season. It was, it was a big year for him and, and his program, given the fact that this was the year where they were supposed to take the next step toward the next step. And I think in a sense, they have done that regardless of if the year ends disappointing and, and how they played against Purdue or, or Wisconsin. This is an indictment of, of his culture and what he's developed here at Maryland. And, it, you know, there there were a lot of non-believers out there. And I think maybe people are still doubting him on the field. But the culture he's built, is, it wouldn't be possible without, you know this year wouldn't be possible. Achieving bull eligibility in October wouldn't be possible, would have been unheard of previously, you know, if, if not for Loxley, who's done a really good job building up this program. And now we await, you know, kind of this, this next step, not to use the, uh, the term over and over and over again, but this, the, the next part of the process where, you know, you turn this program, okay, now you're competent. You got to make yourself now relevant in the big 10 year in and year out.
0: And yeah. And fans obviously like to be reactionary. That's the nature of fandom but it is important to remember when you have a bad loss like that at wisconsin um when they when they get embarrassed and the coaching staff looks and the whole team looks unprepared it is important to remember that what you just said that that the culture Loxley's built and the program that he took over and where he's got it to where it is now like when people are criticizing him it's really important to keep that in mind even when it may be difficult because you're watching a a ill-prepared team on the road at wisconsin
1: yeah, very. It's going to be a hard loss for Maryland and fans to get over. Um, they can obviously, you know, it can change everything this Saturday at Penn State if it does pull off the shocker. But um, our it, tone
0: it, will be it, very, very different if somehow they upset they upset Penn State or Ohio State in the next two weeks.
1: Right, it's it's college ball. They give you a lot to think about, uh, week in and week out, uh, playing only one game every Saturday. But that's that's what what it's all about. It, it's narratives and for this program, the fact that this stuff is, is meaningful and they're playing meaningful football in November is, is a change from years past locks early tenure and, and the years before that as well. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. It, it's going to be interesting moving forward. Uh, We'd certainly expect two losses, but Hey, you never know.
0: Yeah. And we'll see how that, the that plays out the rest of the season. We will preview Penn state, but first we're going to transition a little bit to Maryland men's basketball, who did, uh, begin their season. The Kevin Willard era is underway, and it started out with a positive note with a win for Kevin Willard in his first game as Maryland men's basketball head coach. Maryland defeated Niagara seventy-one to forty-nine. Um, they got up to a twenty-four to ten lead. Dante Scott hit a three. Hakeem Hart hit a three. Um, they they looked good. Niagara came back a little bit when. Maryland went to its second unit and played some wacky lineups with Willard took responsibility for because he said those lineups hadn't really played together on the floor uh, a lot in practice and he kind of put them out there. So he took responsibility for that, said it was on him, not the players. But uh, they they kind of went to their starting unit and Jameer Young, Don Carey, Hakeem Hart, Dante Scott, and Julian Reese. They went to that starting unit in the, uh, in the second half for more extended minutes and then they started to pull away obviously for an eventual 22 point win. Um, You know, it's the first game this season, first game of Ken Willard's er Kevin Willard's ever with a completely new team that he has um, new coaching staff in, in Maryland. So a lot of things were going to be funky, wacky, but what were some of your takeaways from the first non-conference win of the season?
1: Yeah, really exciting just for Willard to make his debut. He admitted he was really nervous for it, walked out the wrong tunnel. Um, But, you know, his team performed uh, the game was really never in major jeopardy. Uh, there were times where it got close late in the first and early in the second half. But th- this is a team that, you know, we'll, we'll continue to learn about. You can't take away too much from a, a 22 point win over a team like Niagara. But I think some of my main takeaways, at least that I mentioned in in, in my takeaways article, I think Maryland is going to have a ball player in, in Jameer young who really showed what he can do in the second half as both a playmaker a scorer, a rebounder. He was even blocking shots at one point. I think he led the team in in points, assists, rebounds, and block shots. Uh, if if I'm correct, Dante uh, Scott obviously ended as the leading scorer. But having this guy as as the point guard, I think very different player than than Fats Russell. Um, you know, but it, it, it's going to be really exciting to watch Jameer kind of have the keys to this show. And th- this team has showed, I think, in-, in game one that they can be exciting, even with some of these low expectations heading into the season.
0: Yeah, I first off about Jameers. that was the first look that Maryland fans really got at him. Obviously, I'm sure a lot didn't really watch too much of him at Charlotte, where he was an explosive scorer. And it will be difficult against Big Ten competition, stronger physical guards, and there will be an adjustment for him. But he is a really quick player. He's a great playmaker. He can shoot off the dribble, um, has a nice... Uh, floater off a little jump stop in the lane. He's, he's a really fun player to watch. He's explosive, can push push the ball in transition, Um, and I think they do have someone special in Jameer Young as well. Um, As you go down the starting unit a little bit, Don Carey, um, he didn't start off very well from three. He, was only, and he finished only one for six for the game, but his stroke looks good. I think mm-hmm. those are going to fall. First time he's playing in a real game at Maryland with that environment. He has a really nice stroke, and I think they're going to be a good shooting team. My biggest takeaway was the pace. Um, You know, Willard said all offseason, he said, this team is going to play with pace. We don't have a lot of size. We're going to try to run up and down the court, and it's going to be ugly at times, uh, but that's what we're going to do. And they showed that. They were full-court pressing for a lot of that game, really up until the very end. Um, With certain lineups, they weren't doing it as much, but they showed a 2-2-1 press. They showed a full-court man press. um, And they they were just going to press, try to create turnovers. And once they got the ball, whether it was off a make, a defensive uh, rebound, off a Niagara missed shot, they were pushing the ball. They were quick outlets, trying to get the ball, trying to get buckets in transition, and you could tell this team is playing with a lot of pace. They're going to attempt a lot of threes, and they were hot in the beginning of the game. Cooled off a little bit. Finished nine for twenty for forty five percent from three, but they're going to try to shoot a lot of threes, get up and down the floor, and it's going to be a fun style of of, of basketball for this for this Maryland team.
1: Yeah, that two two one press that falls into that one three one is is going to take some time but what a big change from you know what Maryland fans were complaining about with with Mark Turgeon it really sets the tone to play with with a a faster tempo and and both offensively and defensively there was one player maybe even two where they generated some steals in in the front court and then got a couple quick buckets off that Um, so it'll be exciting to watch I think the team will get better defensively the more you know mesh they get with these different combinations and the more comfortable they get playing this Kevin Willard up-tempo style of offense where they're going to press for the whole game. That He didn't really take the gas off the brakes, Sam, until he put those guys in in garbage. Oh It was like
0: a minute 30 left, and, and his guys were still yeah. full-court pressing a 20-point blowout.
1: Yeah, it's it's certainly exciting to watch uh there. I think a byproduct of that, a uh, great question from you today at Media Availability is – you know, what is this defensive rebounding going to look like with this one or two, two, one press, excuse me, that falls into this one, three, one type zone where guys are getting beat on backdoor cuts? Maryland's given up a lot of offensive rebounds, which we saw early in the game. I think that will get better as we see this team kind of learn this defense, but definitely something to keep an eye on, given that the team is undersized and, and Julian Reese is, you know, the biggest guy they have in the rotation as of now. Uh, we'll see. Willard said the 6'11 freshman, Caleb uh, and Roger, might be playing at some point. But, you know, this team is undersized at the end of the day. They, they did get beat on back doors. They got dominated on the offensive glass to start the game. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on, uh, at least tomorrow night against Western Carolina.
0: Yeah, look, they're going to, when you, when you play a zone press, you have to fall back into a zone defense. And, and it's way more difficult to rebound out of a zone. So it is tough. You have to balance that because it's already an undersized team. They're going to struggle to rebound, especially when they start playing some really good bigs in the Big Ten. And it's already more difficult to rebound. Off a um, when you're in a zone, so locating right. guys, boxing them out, it's going to be a challenge if they go to that that look a lot. Um, but I I do think playing fast, um, uh, really really fast paced file excuse me, fast paced style. A little bit of a trip up with words there. Um, yeah. I do think when you when you get the ball off the rim and try to push it ahead, I think that can help playing with a, a high tempo. Um, it's it's going to be tough rebounding because they're already undersized. We'll see how they kind of try to counteract that. Maybe they go m- more man press. And you can fall back to a man defense. They showed that a little bit. They showed man press a little bit with uh, some run and jumping trapping against Niagara. They're going to go to a lot of different looks. And I don't really blame Willard as he's experimenting in year one, but also with a completely new new lineup. Um, Go ahead.
1: I'm just saying this guy has he, – he Willard does not know what his rotations are going to be at. He knows the starting five. That's a given. He knows that Ian Martinez is going to be the first guy off the bench in, in pretty much every game and maybe primarily the backup one as well. Shahari Long is going to play. But outside of that, like he talked about playing Noah Batchel at the four when he didn't practice him there all week. Patrick Emilean is going to be playing the, the five even though he's undersized as well. Um, maybe we see Swanton Roger in there as well. So this bench, like we said, going into the year – is it's a murky situation in terms of we don't know who's going to be playing together, who's going to be playing when, who's going to be playing a lot or if not at all. Um, like Cornish, who you know only gotten in garbage time, which was a little surprising, um, in that first game. But the, look, there's a lot to figure out with this team, and defensively, as soon as he nails this rotation down, it's not going to be tomorrow against Western Carolina, it's certainly not going to be against Binghamton. I think they'll they'll start to figure stuff out in these next two games and maybe by Mohegan Sun when they open up with a really good team in St. Louis, um, they'll kind of have their, their defense and, and these rotation alignments kind of more figured out. But that, that's really the, the one – curiosity or the one really curious thing for me, Sam, is kind of just seeing who's going to be playing together. What happens if if Juju gets in foul trouble? Cause there's a lot of questions that need to be answered at least on the defensive end um, with this, the, the state of the roster right now.
0: Yeah. That's when everything kind of fell apart against Niagara and Niagara came back a little bit. It's when he went to that second unit and it's not just playing and he took the blame saying it's playing lineups that aren't familiar with each other, but it's also, they just don't have a lot of talent coming off the bench. That's the reality situation. And when you're playing with a lot of pace, and yes, Dante Scott is in much better shape than he was last year. Um, You hope everyone is just in great shape because you need to be when you're playing with a lot of pace. But guys get tired. and It's much more difficult to play 30 minutes when you're pressing the whole game and, and getting up and down in transition when you're just playing a slower pace. So it's going to be a challenge bouncing that. And ha- not having a lot of uh, guys you can bring on off the bench, obviously against these in these first few games in against inferior opponents that they can win no matter what you're gonna or they should win no matter what you're gonna experiment with some lineups and bring some guys off the bench. But eventually, this is gonna have to be a seven eight man rotation. And Ian Martinez looks like the seventh guy, looks like the sixth man off the bench. Um, but I don't know how much Noah is gonna be playing as the season goes on as a freshman. Um, Jahari Long is obviously his guy from Seton Hall. Um, He'll be playing. Patrick Emelian, I'm not sure how much he'll be playing. You know, it's going to be difficult to kind of find out who are your guys that you can actually trust off the bench to give you quality, meaningful minutes when some of your starters need a rest, because they will. They just inevitably will. You can't play 40 minutes a game, especially with the style um, that they're playing.
1: Yeah, and right now, it's more so about matching the opponent. Like, Willard did mention that, you know, maybe Cal, Swanton, Roger will play, you know he, he didn't play against Niagara because their tallest guy was six eight or whatever it was so we'll see maybe he gets in the rotation. I think the thing with uh Jahari long and, and Patrick and not Patrick excuse me uh Jahari long and Noah Bachelor two newcomers to this team uh two people that no one really knew about um at least from a, a college basketball or, or Maryland fan standpoint um seeing what they could provide on on a college court. I think both of them looked like they belong, Sam. I think Jahari Long is going to be an impactful piece defensively and and even making plays offensively. We saw him with the ball at the top of the key uh, last game a few times. And then Noah Batchelor, you know, hit that three, uh, looked like he he belonged physically, maybe not defensively because he is playing out of position like Willard mentioned. But I think I think those three guys, uh, Long, Batchelor, and then obviously Martinez, that sixth man, are, are going to be kind of, key of, of this bench and guys we frequently see in this lineup
0: yeah and a couple notes on that first is um it's one game not great competition they played but ian martinez looked better and we, we've been hearing all off season that he that he has been getting better his shot um, has been improved. His footwork's improved, and you kind of saw the footwork improve. You know, last year he was taking some really poor shots, um, kind of just out, out of control play style. He looked much more in control, a uh, better decision, better decision maker against Niagara. It was game one. We'll see how he progresses, but he's whole likely to be the sixth man, and it's going to be important that he makes an impact and 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 plays plays smart with his um with how many minutes he's going to be getting. And then the other player who didn't really play until the very end is Ike Cornish. Um, which has been a mystery for Maryland fans because no one really knows like what he brings. He's supposed to be some great shooter. Obviously, if he didn't even crack that nine-man rotation that Willard went to in the first game, it's it's hard to imagine he will at any point this season, but he's really just a mystery, and I, I don't really know what to expect out of him to to what he's producing in practice. It, it's hard to know.
1: Yeah, it really is hard to know. Uh, I was listening to Willard's appearance on the, the Kevin Sheehan show yesterday, and he mentioned that Cornish is a guy that's been good in practice, and they, they feel... Comfortable with him as a guard, but then again, you know, we didn't see him at all, and he was a four-star prospect. Uh, I think he was a little injured to start of the year last year, and they ended up just redshirting him for the whole season um instead of trying to bring him back. And now this year, first year of college basketball doesn't check in until the last two minutes of the game, so I think it, it's a little alarming. Not in the sense that that the team needs him, but we heard last year he was, he was a great shooter in practice, a guy that could make an impact next year, or meaning this season. Um, but the fact that we didn't see him is, is definitely a little concerning for a guy that was, you know, highly ranked as a, as a recruit, a four star and someone that should be making an impact on this team. But, you know, who knows? We're not watching practice every day.
0: Yeah. So hopefully he does get some opportunity against some of these um, lower level opponents. They'll be playing these first few games. Um, and, and I know Maryland fans really want to see him play, see what he can bring. But if not, I mean, he's almost guaranteed to be out the door after this year and, and transfer if he's not getting an opportunity here. Um let's is there anything else or should we should we give a quick prediction on Western Carolina who Maryland has tomorrow on Thursday it'll be the second game of the season um at well, you know we're, we're giving a lot of takeaways there's only one game in it's the first look we got at this group playing on a live action no exhibition um, a real opponent yeah because there's no ex- exhibition games but we have West the, the the Maryland is Western Carolina tomorrow at 7 p.m at the Xfinity Center quick prediction the draftkings line isn't officially out yet but the Ken Palm line expects it to be around 20 points. Um, what are you, quick prediction on that? What are you expecting to see? I, I kind of just want to see, ro- just ha- see rotations and see what's the second unit players can do. That's really what I'm looking at. And then I'm looking at the rebounding. Um, those are the two, two big things I'm looking at in these first few games of the season.
1: Yeah. I'm looking at both those things you mentioned. I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think from an individual player standpoint, I'm looking at a guy like Ian Martinez, someone who you can tell has improved from last year to this year, at least confidence-wise, he told us that today. And, you know, maybe he didn't have the scoring game he would have liked against Niagara, but he did have five steals. Really a a really good athlete, someone who we expect to be an impact, a difference maker on the defensive end, but also offensively. Let's see what he can provide running the show as as the backup one against Western Carolina as he continues to develop. Um, So I'm looking for those two things you mentioned, Martinez. And for this game, 80-60, to Ken Palm projects. Um, I'll go somewhere in in, in the ballpark of 20 points hard to make an exact score prediction given what we've seen out of out of Western Carolina mid major team they do have a transfer from Iowa State who scored 17 points. Yeah, uh, Monday, excuse me, I think they played uh, Georgia in their season opener. Um, But yeah, 20 points seems about right. Um, I'll I'll stick with that right there. Maybe I'll go Maryland by 22. Let's go. Maryland, uh, 78. uh, Western Carolina, 56
0: yeah you that know, 78 would be you know western carolina is not a very good opponent they're probably worse than niagara which is why that line is bigger than it was against excuse me against niagara western carolina finished in the um in last place in the southern conference last year they got a few transfers um one from iowa state you know they, they got more experience with the returners as well but still a really bad western carolina team that won't really compete in that southern conference um i expect maryland to win by by around 20 as well I'll say 76 to uh 55. 21 point win, barely cover if that's the that's the spread that comes out according to DraftKings. Um but yeah, 21 point win, but yeah, it's really just you're looking at at those rotations, you're looking at the rebounding, you're looking at how they're playing with pace, how effective the press is. Um it's kind of, you kind of... All right, we had a little couple a uh, couple technical difficulties there, but we're back and uh we're going to go into Maryland football so we'll keep talking about Maryland basketball every week as that as the season's underway and it's going to be an exciting not a lot of expectation but maybe they'll surprise some people especially with a tough non-conference slate and of course the the big 10 slate which is always really challenging and and maybe the deepest conference in the entire country um so we'll keep talking about Maryland basketball throughout the season but let's go back to Maryland football and talk a little bit about their matchup this weekend before we wrap up they're at Penn State the line is interesting because Maryland's only um, Penn State's only a ten point favorite at home. You know, everyone talks about that big Maryland win in twenty twenty at Penn State when they went into Beaver Stadium and won, but there were zero fans in the stadium. Penn State is one of the best atmospheres in the entire country, um, and it, it can get really loud in there. I'm not sure Maryland has really played an environment, or Talia at least has really played an environment with what that it's going to be uh, this Saturday in State College. So it's it's. It's tough. It's interesting that the line is only 10 in Penn State's favor because this is one of the best Penn State teams in James Franklin's last few years. You know, in that 2020 year, they went on a five game losing streak last year. They had four. They they went on like a they lost like four out of five. They were really struggling last year at certain points of the season. But this year, they're the third best team in the Big Ten by far. Their only losses are to Ohio State and Michigan. And it seems based on the schedule, those are probably the only two losses all year. Um so this is a really good Penn State team. One of the best in recent memory. It's going to be really tough for Maryland to go in there and kind of to win the game and and re- even be competitive, but the line is only 10, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, I was shocked. I think the what did the line open at? Somewhere around like 13. The the I don't know why a lot of the public money's going on Maryland. I think maybe people in college football have had enough of Sean Clifford um just watching Penn State. I think Penn State fans are def- definitely had their fair share of him, a guy, you know, who's been really pretty consistent his whole career, consistently good. Um, never really has gotten to that great level, has been honorable mentioned all big 10 twice, but a, t- a talented quarterback nonetheless. But Penn State does have freshman Drew Aller on their roster, a five-star guy has appeared in what, seven games this year, Sam? A guy that's gotten some significant playing time. Um, and a guy that I think Penn State fans maybe are getting a little unpatient with in Clifford, and maybe they want to see Drew play instead. Who knows there? I think maybe that's just the the line reaction there, because I don't know. I, th- I think people have their opinions on Sean Clifford, you know, a lot of Penn State guys. So uh, I, th- I think you can you can speak for that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's, it's, he's a very reactionary player because he does a lot of, he likes, makes a lot of dumb decisions, and throws a lot of dumb passes, but he also, he's won a lot of games there. And it's kind of a oh, love hate relationship that I think he has uh, with that fan base and that fan base has with him. But I do think for the most part, they're kind of grooming, grooming their backup and he's, he's going to be taking the next step for them, obviously, because this is Sean Clifford's last year. And I think Penn State fans are ready to see Sean Clifford out the door, but they are thankful um to a degree. Just right. based on the career that, that he's had there. Um, but beyond him, this is a Penn State team that is is really effective running the ball. They have a couple running backs that they can rely on. They use two tight end sets a lot, and they like to like they like to throw the ball to those tight ends, a ton of playmakers, one of the most talented Penn State teams that that they've had in recent years, and that's why they're one of the they're only gonna probably be a two loss team this season. Um, and their defense is really good too. It's one of those games, and we said it against Michigan where Penn State is going to have to be near perfect on the road um, to upset Penn State. First off, that means virtually no turnovers. Maryland had three turnovers against Michigan, the the fumble and the opening kickoff, and then two interceptions, one of them, which was definitely not an interception at all, that Talia had, um, but the refs didn't see that hit the ground for some reason. But that's neither here nor there at this point all these weeks later. But still, they, they they, they were far from perfect against Michigan, and they lost, but they came really close. If they're perfect against Michigan, maybe even have just one of those turnovers, they probably upset them. They're gonna have to win the turnover battle against Penn State. They're gonna they cannot turn the ball over. And their defense is gonna need to force turnovers from Sean Clifford, put pressure on him, make him make difficult throws that can lead to some turnovers for Maryland secondary. And then the last thing is they're gonna have to have big playability and be explosive. Um, whether that's Roman Hemby breaking through for a 60-yard run. Whether they're getting Rakim Jarrett a little more involved, maybe Dante Demas will finally have a breakthrough game this season. Um, whatever it is, they're gonna have to find big, big plays and they're not gonna win running it up the middle or throwing screen passes consistently. They're gonna have to win the turnover battle and they're gonna and be near perfect in, in with their turnovers and then convert convert really well in third downs and have uh big kind of out big play them. If that makes sense, they're going to, they're going to have to have more big plays than Penn state's going to be able to generate. And those are really tough tasks, but if they can do that and play that near perfect game, they may come away with an upset.
1: Right. It's, it's turnovers and big plays at this point for Maryland, who is going to be overmatched at Penn state outside of Clifford. I mean, this Penn state offense is electric, I mean, two freshmen running backs, uh, Nick Singleton and, and Katron Allen have, have really turned into one of the best one, two punches in the country. And these guys are freshmen. I mean, Singleton is, I think, has 679 rushing yards and, and eight touchdowns. I think Katron Allen is eight rushing touchdowns as well. Parker Washington, number three, that the 5'10 receiver is going to be, you know, he's one of the most electric playmakers in the country as well. I think he had nearly 200 yards against uh, Ohio State, maybe a little more than that, um, and hauled in, I think, 11 receptions that game. But, yes, yeah, it's going to come down to which team can make the less, uh, less mistakes. and And Maryland on the road. Is gonna be you know slated to make more mistakes just given the environment that they've played in. Yes, Maryland played at Michigan at the big the big house, which you know wasn't too electric for that that Maryland game for whatever reason. Um, but th- this atmosphere is gonna be rocking. Um, Talia Tagovailoa needs to bounce back. Um, from you know his his worst one of his worst career games, definitely his worst game of the season. Um, we've seen him be able to bounce back in the past. Um, pretty nicely. Um. But you know, with this game, I think something we got to talk about, saying big picture with Maryland and Penn State is that Loxley said it's not a rivalry, which I think is fair to say, given the fact that I think Penn State is forty-one-three and one against Maryland all time. Just an, an embarrassing showing for the Terps in the in the series, given that you know one of those three wins came in twenty twenty in, in the COVID year with no one in the crowd, and it was kind of just a weird year overall. Even though Maryland might have been better than than Penn State that season, but. For this game to be considered a rivalry, Maryland's going to have to be competitive uh, on Saturday at at a minimum.
0: Yeah, and you know both sides need to consider a rivalry for it to be that. And maybe it is in the recruiting battle because obviously they're only like a three-hour drive from each other, and they're recruiting very similar players. We can talk about Damian Robinson a little bit, the linebacker for freshman linebacker for Maryland last year who transferred out to Penn state in this season. And now he's a sophomore at Penn state contributing for them. So maybe it's a little bit of a rivalry in the recruiting battles, but on the field, Penn state has dominated. They don't look at Maryland at a rival as a rival at all. The fans don't, the players don't, the coaches don't, nobody does because Maryland has not been able to compete with them except for that 2020 year, which was a weird COVID year, no fans in the stands um, and obviously a shortened season. So it's really not a rivalry. Even if Maryland might get a little more up, they might, some of the players might know, just based on geographic location, they might know Penn state a little bit more More players at least. Yeah. Who, yeah. Who I mentioned, but other than, other than that, it's really not a rivalry at all at all. And they won't look at it as such. Um, This, you mentioned the freshman running backs. And I want to get back to that for Penn state is that that's why I'm giving Penn state such an advantage because it's not going to be a Sean Clifford game, Maryland. If you watch film about Maryland and Loxy talked about it, how they've really struggled to contain the edges and they're just other teams are getting out on the edges whether it's the running backs whatever it is they're making plays on the edges maryland has been dominated in the run their rush defense has been horrible i mean you look at blake corm against um for michigan who ran all over uh maryland had that huge run right before the half that kind of like was a big momentum turner going into halftime and then last week um Braylon Allen he, he got whatever he wanted 23 attempts 119 yards rushing um and then their other running back Grando he had 12 attempts, 114 yards rushing. So Maryland's rush defense has been horrible. And whatever whatever running attack is coming in, that game plan is run the ball all over Maryland time after time after time until Maryland can stop the run. And they've shown they cannot stop the run. So it's not going to be a Sean Clifford game. Maryland's Mer- Penn State's game plan is going to be to run the football, and they're going to do it effectively. And that's why that kills clock. That's why I don't really see Maryland even competing in this one.
1: I agree. I, th- I think it's going to be a blowout. I'm a little confused by the ten point spread. We'll get to it, but Penn State has the personnel and, and the game plan to really expose Maryland here. You mentioned that Maryland has not been great in the run defense, which they haven't. Um, I think Bo Brid has been really good, just tackling and, and making plays as as you know that defensive quarterback at, at safety. Um, but regardless, the the rest of this offense or the rest of this defense, excuse me. Linebackers have dealt with some injuries, but they got reinforcements last game against Wisconsin and were embarrassed. I think that Isaac Arendo, 89-yard touchdown is all you need to see, where he basically went untouched 90 yards down the field. Um, this run defense is going to need to show some resistance. Excuse me, and it starts with with the big boys up front, who you know have performed well this season. Greg China Rose had some good games. Darrell and Chami, uh, Nasila Kite, but. Maryland, they're going to have to step up in a major, major way and play by far their best game of the season if Maryland's going to have any chance in Happy Valley because this run game from Penn State is a monster. Uh, I, I know they just lost, uh, I think they're starting left guard for the year, uh, Landon Tangwall. He's gone. Yeah. But- and their
0: left tackle is week to week, so he probably yeah. won't be playing. They'll
1: have, a, they'll have a weaker offensive line, but they can just you know play and plug with with four stars and and five stars here. So we'll see. I, I think the, the Penn State running backs are extremely talented nonetheless. So no matter who they're running behind, um, it's going to be a tough task for Maryland's defense to stop these guys.
0: Yeah. And the last thing I'll say before we go to predictions is Talia is really, he's going to have to have his best game. Of the season, I think that's gonna to have to be a 300 plus yard game. He's gonna to have to get his tight ends involved, which he's done a good job of this season. The playmaker, playmakers that he has in the wide receiver room that have been a disappointment a little bit this season, those guys are gonna to have to, to make some huge plays, explosive plays. And you're gonna to have to see just a phenomenal, um, turnover list game from Talia Tagavailoa. And that, that means he's gonna to have to just, just be great decision making wise, not turn the ball over put the ball in his weapons hands and let them make plays. And I, the only way Maryland has a chance to win is he, if he has one of those electric performances for 300 plus yards, probably three touchdowns. Um, And Roman Hemby and the offensive line has a bounce back game and is effective uh, running the football. But Other than that, it's it's that's really what it's going to come down to the defense is going to have to have ter- takeaways you know it's going to come down to the turnover margin and who has more plays Lockley says that almost every coach in the Big Ten and across college football says those are the keys to this game if you can win to any game if you're going to win those battles then you're probably going to win the football game and it's been the case with Maryland's uh, team all year most of the games that when they've won the turnover margin they've been able to win the game um, not all of them but most of them um, so you want to give a little prediction
1: yeah, I think I just those points with the big plays and turnovers. Yes, it's it's coach speak. But at the same time, it's so true. And it's been so it's really just epitomized what we've seen from this Maryland team this season in games where they've had success turning the ball over. Just look at that SMU game, for example, where they were able to pick off Tanner Mordecai a couple times. Those were the difference in the game almost. And and the second half defense has been huge. It needs to be more than the second half defense in Penn State. You're going to need to see a complete game from start to finish for Maryland to have any chance against what I think is a really talented team. And Maryland is only, you know, 10-point underdogs, like we mentioned, um, per DraftKings Sportsbook, over under 59 points. So expecting a a fairly high-scoring game. I do not think this one's going to be close, though. I think Maryland gets on the board with a couple touchdowns, but I I think Penn State gets on the board with, with a few more. I'm going to go Penn State. 35 Maryland 14. Prediction.
0: I have a very similar prediction but I I do think Penn State controls the game um from the start to finish pretty much. Maryland was Maryland had a great game last year against Penn State. It, it was in College yeah, Park. It, they were it. tied at one point in the fourth quarter and then Penn State pulled away late but you kind of thought Maryland was going to pull off that upset. Um, and of course they beat them in 2020. But th- like I said, this is Penn state's best team in a while, most talented team in the last few years. Um, And on the road and in a great environment, like I said, probably the toughest environments tough. I've been there. It's a more tough environment than the big house. Um, You kind of expected Wisconsin to have a good environment last week. The rain didn't allow that. That was kind of an empty stadium. I think this is going to be the toughest, loudest environment, Talia and Loxley. Talia's played in and Loxley has coached in as the head coach at Maryland. Um, So, I just kind of expect uh, Penn State to use that to their advantage, that home field advantage. I think they control the game throughout. They're going to control the clock, uh, control the ground game. Penn State's the more talented team, and it's going to show. And I think Penn State controls the game. I do think Maryland kind of has a little late surge maybe a little bit. Uh, I could see it being like 21-7 at one point, and then Maryland, and then I don't I don't know. But I think Penn State could have a little bit. I mean, I think Maryland could have a little bit of a late surge um, But as I'm saying this, trying to stall, I do have Maryland. All right, here's my prediction. 35, Penn State 35, Maryland
1: 21. So
0: you have have 35-14. I kind of think maybe Maryland gets a little backdoor touchdown there. I have 35-21, but the score may not be indicative of how much Penn State's going to dominate this game.
1: Yeah, I don't think it'll be all that competitive, maybe for a little bit. But I think there's a, a pretty... Large talent uh, differential, and just the way that the seasons have been go, It has been going. Maryland's going to have a lot of urgency in this game. They have some extra juice, like Loxley and the, and the players have mentioned. But uh, I think Penn State's just going to be too much in their home stadium in an uh, important game. You know, Penn State finishing 10 and 2 is, you know, the goal right now after losing to Michigan and Ohio State, two teams that, you know, are clearly better than them. But Penn State is clearly better than everyone else in the Big Ten. So I think. Penn State's going to finish the season on a strong note, and it starts with this Terps game right now.
0: All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back next week, next Wednesday, breaking down this Penn State game, previewing Ohio State, which Maryland football will play, and Maryland basketball will will have a couple more games under their belt. So we'll talk about that as well. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week.